0: For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, your host for this episode of Under the Dome for the week of Monday, November 7th, 2022. I'm joined today by my colleagues Luciana Perez-Uribe-Guinasi and Danielle Battaglia, who have been reporting on the U.S. Senate race. Danielle from D.C., since she's our congressional reporter, and Luciana here on our politics team in North Carolina. Folks, we are we are here. It's actually it's actually happening. Uh, If you're listening to this on Monday, polls open Tuesday morning. So let's talk about a different poll uh, kind of poll. Danielle, recent poll show some North Carolinians don't know much about the race. So tell us three big things to know or however many, two, five, to know about Democratic candidate Sherry Beasley and Republican candidate Ted Budd. And those of you who already know who they are, you can uh, just listen to our recap.
1: It makes me sad that people don't know who they are for how much I've been covering them. Uh, but I'd say three things to know about Ted Budd. He's supported by former President Donald Trump, which really gave him a leg up in the primary. Um, it basically pushed him ahead of his two opponents, Pat McCrory and um, Mark Walker, why I couldn't think of his name. And then I know it was so long ago. And um, he has served as a representative um, over parts of the triad for three terms. Now he's in his third term. Technically, he He corrects me on that when I say that. And then um, Republicans desperately want control of the U.S. Senate race, I mean, Senate race, the U.S. Senate. So getting that chamber is very important to them. And so maintaining what is currently Senator Burr, who is also a Republican seat, is very important to them. As for Sherry Beasley, she is formerly North Carolina's, um, North Carolina Supreme Court Chief Justice. She would be the first African-American elected from North Carolina to serve in the Senate and only the 12th in the history of our country, which is amazing to me that there's only been 12. Um, And securing that seat would mean that Democrats maintain control of the chamber, which is really important. So her getting that seat would help because right now there is a Republican in there. Um, The control of the Senate right now is by two people and those are independents who caucus with the Democrats. So they, um, they really want to maintain control.
0: Control of the chamber is also something at our uh, state level, which we'll talk about maybe toward the end of the show since we recapped that last time. Uh, Luciana, you've been working with Danielle on the, on the ground in North Carolina uh, coverage of the U.S. Senate race and talking to voters. So what have you learned about the voters during the campaign season?
2: Hi. Yeah. So the past few weeks, uh, well, no, actually the past few months, I've been talking to um, a lot of voters going to Beasley and Bud campaign events across the state. And then most recently, uh, I got to speak to a lot of voters in different counties for a uh, kind of bigger project article that published today. So that's been interesting.
0: If you all haven't read it yet, go to newsobserver.com to read Luciana's coverage, all of our politics uh, team coverage. We have a voter guide with candidate questionnaires, everything you need to know if you're not sure what you wanna to do, tomorrow. Uh, so Luciana, where all where all did you and and Will go? Not Will, Doran, Will Wright, our uh, colleague in, in Charlotte.
2: Yeah, so Will Wright and I went um, to six different counties and those were Durham, Nash, Mecklenburg, Randolph, Robinson, and Scotland. And we basically went to these areas to talk to voters, to talk to politicians, to speak to the chairmen of the uh, parties in those areas and get a sense of um, what people cared about there and why they voted a certain way.
0: Um, Durham, of course, is a deep blue local city and county here. Uh, some of our listeners uh, may not know about the other places, which was, of course, part of the reason that you all went to these different counties and talked to the voters there that, that aren't always in our in our NNO coverage. So what should listeners know about the other areas that you visited?
2: Yeah, so as Don said, Durham is, of course, deeply blue. Uh, Mecklenburg is you know, very blue as well. Then you have Robinson, that's been shifting red in recent years. And then you have Randolph, which is very, very, very red. And then Scotland and Nash are both purple and they kind of um, switch around during elections in terms of, you know, which party they opt for.
0: Can you, um, can you explain a little bit where the Mecklenburg, of course, is near Charlotte, where where those other counties are if someone's looking at a map and maybe isn't, isn't generally familiar with where you all went? Like, how far was your drive? How many <laughs> counties did you pass? That sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to uh, put the map in my brain right now. So uh, I went to Randolph and Nash and Durham. So uh, Randolph is toward the west, about an hour away from uh, here, Wake County. And then Nash County is towards the east, about 50 minutes away from Wake.
0: Uh, so what all? what all did you hear from them?
2: So the voters I spoke with mentioned a really similar topic. So concerns about the economy, about abortions, um, as well as student loans, crime. So a lot of the topics we hear uh, generally, in our, you know, across our coverage. But what varied was their opinions on these topics, whether they thought there should be more, you know, restrictions on abortions, less, um, what the correct approach to fixing some of them were.
0: Do you think it kind of fell along you know, typical party lines on on these issues? Or was it just depending on like who you talked to and how you asked?
2: So absolutely, it fell on party lines in these counties, depending on, you know, whether they were very red, very blue. But then you always had um, the occasional surprise where a voter, you know, in a deeply red county would be extremely in favor of Democrats. Um, And then the purple counties, you found kind of a mixed bag.
0: Okay. Um, there's, uh, when we talked about, um, unaffiliated voters previously this year, I found the one unaffiliated voter that voted for Trump and Obama and Hillary. So a lot of people, it changes, uh, per election. Uh, so you, so are we looking at unaffiliated voters as the big factor here?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I think a lot of, um, the election results hinges on unaffiliated voters and where they, ultimately fall on in terms, you know, their party affiliation, where they vote, um, as well as the turnout for some of the deeply red and deeply blue counties, whether people show up and go to the polls.
0: I've been looking at the early voting counts with our uh, data reporter, David Rayner, and I described the unaffiliated turnout so far as the mehest of uh, early voters. And that's basically how they they're all pretty meh about getting out there early. We'll see if they turn out on, on Tuesday. So Danielle, how close do you think the votes will be counties and statewide between Beasley and Bud? I'm nervous.
1: <laughs> I'm like nervous. Um, I So I was listening to Do Politics Better this morning. And they said 4%. And I'm hoping we get that high because, you know, everyone expects at this point for representative Ted Budd to win the seat. And I think that's probably right at this point, but I have PTSD from the Sherry Beasley, Paul Newby race where she at one point only had 11 votes. Like she, she, she's had some stressful, she's had some stressful elections and I covered that one. So I don't know. We have like this whole pre-election post-election plan that, counts on somebody winning and I think we need a plan B because I think it could be very close and we may not have results election night but we'll see let's see if I get proven wrong.
0: So that's a good segue to how things might be at the end of um, election night for what I'll be focusing on Tuesday night so thanks for adding to my stress tornado. You're welcome. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about uh, stress tornadoes, and which is I just came up with that, and uh, our picks for our headliner of the week. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer politics reporter Don Vaughn here with my colleagues Luciana Perez Uribe Ginnasi and Danielle Battaglia out of DC. So w- before the break, we were segueing from top of ballot to to the rest. So, Don, what's leaving you so stressed on the rest of the ballot? Nothing at all. <laughs> um, well, first of all, for those that we talk about, it's wild to think that state lawmakers are down ballot because it's so significant. Uh, but they are compared to the Beasley Bud race. And even further down the ballot are all your local races. So, again, I'll plug our voter guide, which our local government reporters have also worked on extensively. Depending on what um, in the triangle here, we have everything for Durham, Orange, Wake, uh, and so we've got in Raleigh the mayor, we've got Wake County commissioners, we've got a couple bonds on the ballot, their sheriff. So check your um, local local coverage that we have um, here in the triangle, or if you're listening from further out in the state, the, the coverage there. So, but in the middle of the ballot are 170 races, and it's control of the General Assembly. I've been writing a lot about that, about what what kind of shifts we could see. And a month or so ago, I wrote the three scenarios of democratic gains, uh, Republican gains, which would mean potentially super majorities in one or both chambers, or everything is the same, and it's just Groundhog Day at the next legislative session, which is that Republicans retain a majority um, in each of the chambers still. And there's a good chance that, that that's what it's going to be. The, it's pretty close, the gains that they would need to make on the Senate, just two races to gain a supermajority. It's a little more uphill for House Republicans to do the same. Is it, you know, is it possible? I'd like how politicians like to say they have a path to victory for themselves, because of course you want to say that. So there are paths to victory in the House and the Senate for Republicans. And for Democrats, there's a path to preventing them to have as many victories (laughs) as as they would like. So again, obviously, you know, none of us know. The stress tornado is uh, the Tuesday night. We may not know the the final control of the legislature because it's 170 races. There are several that obviously we already know. We know that, you know, Durham politicians or Democrats are going to win again. We know that uh, Senator Berger and Speaker Moore running unopposed, they're going to win, and a lot of other Republican leadership are, are running unopposed or, or in like easily won districts, so they'll be fine, but it's all the swing districts that we don't know about and how close they are, and those unaffiliated voters who are all, meh, I didn't feel like early voting, do I feel like going on Tuesday? And sure, if you look at certain patterns, they're going to vote one way or or another party wise, but you still don't actually know until they come and, you know, decide what what they're going to mark. So um, I don't I don't know what will happen at the end of the night Tuesday. Maybe maybe it won't end Tuesday night. Maybe we'll never sleep again. (laughs) I I was
1: just talking to one of our uh, political scientists who always, you know, tells us what's going on in the world and he said he wouldn't be surprised if some of these tight races
0: aren't decided till canvassing. Is that what you're thinking? Are you worried about that? I'm hearing that it's, there's, yeah, there's going to be potential recount stuff and we're not going to, we're not going to know. So, you know, best laid plans and all. And so we'll just, you know, go into it thinking, maybe we'll find out and just be, you know, pessim- uh, optimistically pessimistic <laughs> where, you know, if we find out great, and I'll write that story, and if we don't find out, you know, I'll I'll write the story no matter what. So, anyway, please uh, continue to listen to uh, to and listen and read all our all our coverage. So, um, we are going to turn to our headliners of the week. I'll go first because it relates to exactly what we are just talking about. My headliner of the week are all those workers on election day. Thank you, thank you, public servants, for dealing with questions from reporters, questions from voters, questions from politicians, and everybody else who hassles you. Uh, we appreciate your work for, for our uh, city, county, state, and country. So, headliner of the week, election day workers, and maybe election week, month, <laughs> we'll see. So, uh, uh, Luciana, what's, uh, what's your headliner of the week, or who?
2: so mine is all the recent twitter shenanigans in particular the pay for verification i think that's interesting because i think traditionally the blue check mark has been a way for people to kind of recognize a more public facing figure or someone who has some sort of name recognition and now it seems that potentially with the elon musk takeover it might be more of a way to just verify your identity um, which could help limit bots, but I also think it'll it'll take away a bit of you know the other role of knowing you know certain kind of important figures or public figures.
0: It'll be interesting to see if employers whose employees use use Twitter, you know, reporters for example, would pay for it, or you pay for it personally. And what are you paying for? Is it enjoyable? Sometimes maybe, sometimes not. I know you all love my legislative building. Uh, tweet photos, but I don't know, you know, we'll we'll see uh, how much Twitter is enjoyable beyond, you know, I don't know, today as we're, as we're talking on Friday, um, reports last night said that, you know, half of Twitter's workforce is being shown the door. So um, we'll see what, what they have to say.
1: I've lost over 30 Twitter followers since Elon took over and I want to know
0: where they're going. Oh, I saw that too. Yeah. Well, part of it, I didn't, you know, it could be bots. It could be people peacing out. It could be who knows. Yeah.
2: I've heard a lot of the Twitter workers are in California and they have like, I think a 90 day uh, rule that you have to give notification when you're going to fire them. So I'm wondering if that's going to play out in any way, like in the
0: court. I want, yeah, I wonder that too, because I saw in North Carolina something similar, and it's like, you know, depending on the number of workers that you're getting rid of, you have to notify because of the impact to, um, to the economy, so.
1: And the sales
0: under federal investigation, so. Things are always tied up in the courts. Oh, we didn't even, one more, like, quick mention. There the are Supreme Court races also on the ballot. We talked all about that last week, but uh, don't forget that. See, there's a lot on your ballot, so check out our check out our voter guide. Okay, I'm ex- also excited about Danielle's headliner um, because I know what it is. Danielle, what's your headliner? Yeah, and we also argued
1: about this, and somehow Dawn's headliner still was, like, way more magical than mine. But my headliner is Ruby, the capital Christmas tree that was uh, – picked out is not right but uh, cut down from Pisgah National Forest and is on its way I think there's like 18 stops or 16 stops before it comes to the Capitol grounds on November 18th and I'm hoping to be there to see Ruby get put in place and decorated for the holidays because if you know Don and I at all we love the holidays and are very excited about this.
0: Danielle and I also uh, both lived in, didn't know each other then, uh, lived in Northern Virginia for a long time growing up. And I can tell you um, from what I learned then and, and what I've done when I visit my, my, my parents as an adult is that the U.S. Capitol tree, if you're a tourist is, or if you live there, is the tree to go see. The White House tree, sure, that's fine, but there's lots of lines And the Capitol tree is just there on the lawn. You can get closer to it. It's just an amazing, magical, like, D.C. holiday experience. So we were going to see it together last year, but then I had a COVID
1: exposure at the Capitol and I had to cancel and it was so sad.
0: Yes, this is a much more optimistic uh, holiday season than, than previous ones around the country. So so, yay, holidays are coming up. We can look forward to that at least to, uh, you know, dissipate our, our post-election uh, stress coverage and everything else. So, um, all right. Well, thanks for listening today. Um, I'm Dawn Vaughn here with Danielle and Luciana. We'll talk to you next time after the election. For more from our politics team, subscribe to The News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider. And sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.